Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Uplifting Impact and to our weekly podcast. My name is Deanna Singh. I'm the Chief Change Agent with Uplifting Impact, and I am always excited to be here with you because we get to have some of the best conversations about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And today, I am confident we are going to have another one because we are joined by Nicole Mitchell. Nicole serves as Cedar Sinai's Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer, where she is responsible for providing strategic leadership, developing and driving the implementation of programs and initiatives that promote a culture of diversity, inclusion, and belonging. For over 10 years, Nicole has been practicing and creating and driving culture change in both the for-profit and in the non-for-profit sectors. She has done a lot of different things in different places around the country, but right now she is in California. We talked about our Midwest roots before we pushed record here, Uh, but she's in California really focusing on how we can think about ideas like employee engagement, philanthropy, communication, supplier diversity, and executive level training um, around what it looks like to create these inclusive spaces. So I'm so excited to welcome Nicole to our show. Nicole, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me today. Absolutely. We have so many things that I want to talk to you about, but the first thing I want to talk to you about is just like this idea of what you had to do and kind of what your experience was like in particular when we think about what was going on in 2020. And I'm going to start there because I think for a lot of organizations, like 2020 was just this moment, right? Of what do I do in the midst, especially working in a healthcare institution, what do I do in the midst of all of the social unrest that's happening? And, you know, some people call it kind of like a a reawakening of, of what was going on in the, in the social justice space. In addition to what all the things that were happening from a COVID perspective and in the healthcare space. So I'm just curious, and we're going to start, we're going to go deep right away. I'm right in. (laughs) I'm just curious, like, how were you able to manage, you know, what was going on in in 2020 and really sustain the organization from your role? Yeah, it it was was such an interesting time, right? Because it was dual pandemics. And we we say that particularly in the DEI space. And I know that you've heard that and your audience has probably heard that, but we were being in healthcare. It was so real because our people were on the front lines dealing with the pandemic with COVID. And in the beginning, our team was like, what do we do? How do we support these people? Because the focus is not on DEI at this moment. We are literally thinking about how do we save lives and how do we educate a community about a disease that nobody knows about and we weren't ready for. 
And so we kind of took a step back and I joined the team in August of 2019 and we were really building. We had built the foundation of messaging and listening to our employees for the year. And then all of a sudden we're like, yes, we're going to mobilize things and start conversations and bam, the pandemic hit. And we were like in this lost void (laughs) of what do we do? And we kind of took a step back and said, there's still a space for us um, from a DEI space where we can lean in and have conversations in a different way. And we were starting to think about virtual before virtual is what it is now um, on how can we create spaces. And I'm obsessed with this whole concept of creating space for people. It's like one of my favorite things to talk about um, in the DEI world. But then George Floyd happened and it was such an awakening um, in the the protests here in LA were literally right down the street from the hospital and at my corner. So I live right down the street from the hospital um, and they were literally at my corner. And it was just one of those moments where I said, as a black woman and the leader of this, I have to figure out how we can get that voice heard and how can we lean in and really create space now. So we quickly looked at um, a vigil to bring people together to talk about how we were feeling. And that was the route that we took. We didn't take, we're going to start pushing and thinking about strategy. It wasn't the right time to do that. It was about listening and creating a safe space for our people to build community. And as I said in the in the a speech of the vigil, how do we find the time to breathe together? Because we're holding up a lot of stress. And that was the, the pivot that we made. And we did it virtually. And we had 500 people in a day's notice join us on this first time ever. We didn't even have the technology at that point to do something really big, but we had 500 people log in and just breathe and you know listen and it was such a powerful moment and i think that that really laid the foundation for us to have open dialogues and that was the route that we took so we went from being lost at the beginning of covid to creating space and dialogues and i think that was the right next foundational piece for us to build the program to where we are now you know i really love that and i i think so much in this work we talk about psychological safety right we yes. talk about how do we create that space where people can feel really comfortable and you know, there's been a lot of writing on this. There's a lot of exceptional people, particularly from the healthcare uh, space who have added, you know, tremendous value into what that looks like. And it is not, and what I'm going to say is not in any way to discount all of that uh, work that they've done and really like the knowledge that they've given us here. But sometimes I, 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 I have to like push the pause button with people and say, okay, yes, we can talk about all these different things. We can start using all these big words, but honestly, the first thing that you have to do is like, take a breath, right? The first thing you have to do is just like, slow it down. Like the first thing we have to do is the same things that we have to do when we think about how we create our own psychological space and, and, and really like that, that freedom in, in our worlds, right? I know when I'm getting all flustered and everything, like I just need things to stop for a second. Take a breath and just take a breath. Yeah. Yeah. And that it can be just as simple. You know what I mean? Like, again, psychological safety, lots of literature, lots of really smart people, lots of things in order to continue to do that, to make it operationalized, to make it a part of your system, all of those things. And all important. All important. But at the core, it isn't that complicated. At the core, it actually starts with some really simple steps. So I love that that was like the first thing. It almost sounds like intuitively you all were like, wait a minute. Let's go back to the basics and start there. 
And we were, we were seeing people getting frustrated and burned out and our, you know, people in healthcare are so burned out. We've been dealing with this pandemic for two years. And I know all of us are tired of oh. trying to fight this, but our, our folks are on the front lines and it, it was, we just needed to breathe together. We just needed to show that we had a community. We were here to support each other. And it was a beautiful moment. And I really do think we've done vigils and open forums since then, you know, with the rise of AAPI hate, we had an open forum for our AAPI members of our community just to come together and say, here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I've experienced just to create that space again. And that's been um, a really important thread and foundation to the work that we do here at Cedars for our DEI program. And it's super important to me because I think it's authentically who I am um, and allowing that allows others to be authentic and bring their true selves and their feelings to these conversations and create a space where it's okay to do that. Yeah. And I think that's probably the thing that makes this like so hard for people, right? When we talk about DEI and we talk about why, when I have a finance conversation, I'm not necessarily bringing my feelings right. to the guy. Right. You know, I mean, I might, th- yeah. that might happen, but, but it's not the same as sort of what happens in this space because it is wrapped up in our social identities. It's wrapped up in our histories. It's wrapped up in like who we are and how we present ourselves and the challenges that some of us have had to face, you know, and even thinking about how, how we present ourselves. So friends, you don't know this, but Nicole and I spent the first 10 minutes of our call here today, just even talking about our hair. We both have, you know, curly hair and beautiful curly hair. I'm just going to interject there. Beautiful. Yeah. I, I I'm owning that. Right. Yes. But it wasn't, it wasn't always easy to walk around with curly hair, right? There was a lot of pressure to, to do different things with our hair that, you know, and there were times where I didn't feel like my curly hair was beautiful. So I really appreciate that adjective, right? Like now I, I embrace that, but there were times where, I don't know, I went through a lot and, and, and sometimes, right? Like those feelings of, oh my gosh, it took me a long time to get to this place where I felt comfortable with this portion of my identity or who, how I'm showing up that that does raise feelings. And so to try to do this work without creating the space for feelings, leaving the heart piece at the door when you are trying to do this work is the biggest mistake that you can make, you know, and I truly believe that the head and heart have to be part of it, but you have to remember that they are totally intertwined and they are critical to our journeys. And it's, I think it's important too, to have the heart piece in this because you have to meet people where they are. And if you just keep the head piece and you forget the feelings, like you just said, the feelings that people are bringing to the table, whether you agree or disagree with those perspectives, that heart piece of grace and creating space is so, so critically important. So I think you have to remember the feelings are just, they're just an important piece of the DEI journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So that's what you did. That was your strategy. That's kind of like was some grounding foundational stuff as you came into the organization, but then now we're in 2022. Yeah. Right. And so we've had time there's been, you know, we've got, we still don't know everything that's going on with COVID. We know a little bit more, right. And just the, the time has changed. And so I'm curious as you, you know, time moved on, how did you have to pivot your goals or what changed in your, in your process? It's been really um, interesting and exciting. I think as you, we probably have all said this as much as we hated to see 
the murder of George Floyd, it was also a pivotal moment for our work where it opened the dialogue. And for us, we really leaned into that and started to push conversations that we may not have pushed as quickly um, prior to that, that situation. And for us, we just launched a three-year strategy. We have our executive DNI council that I, you know, my team put them to work for a year to look at data on engagement surveys, we started to slice and dice that by demographics so we could understand where we had opportunities. We had not done that before, right? We started to get messages out. We did more listening to employees. We started to think about how do we engage and have real and relevant conversations that we aren't perfect and we know it, but we are here to try and start to make some change. And it really um, culminated, we just launched at the end of the year, our new three-year framework where we have five areas because we're starting to see everybody talk about this and we're a small but mighty team of four. Um, and we needed to kind of focus the organization so we could align and start to make progress. So that was a big piece for us to really do that and start to engage. So we, we went from having zero diversity and inclusion committees, council task force across the organization when I joined to 12 now. Um, so aligning those efforts between the 12, this three-year plan was really an important piece to it. But just the need um, of talking about unconscious bias, that was huge. So we actually believe as an organization that in our world to help close health equity gaps, we have to understand how bias plays into those conversations. And so there's debate. Does it work? Does it not work? It has been very interesting for us. So we actually created an unconscious bias education that was mandatory for every single employee within Cedar sinai every level. Um, and the conversations that have come from that, and this is why I do think it works. People are seeing things and pointing out or this doesn't feel right. Can we talk to you about it? Um, I saw an old image in another training in education. I feel like it's not relevant anymore. We need to get that changed. To me, those are baby steps, but when we're meeting people where they are, they're important and it's worked. So thinking about things like that and really starting to mobilize has been exciting. And now having a three-year plan is really amazing because it's going to direct us for the next few years. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that. You know, I think, uh, so one of the things that I, I do is um, I'm also a doula, right? So I help provide uh, birth and, and labor support before, during, and after labor for birthing people. And one of the things that happens all of the time is we end up in these conversations, right. Uh, with my, with the, with clients or whether it's like, you know, people who are going through the birthing experience or their partners or their family members or with healthcare practitioners about some of the things that they've encountered. And mm -hmm. so being able to identify, not just from an organizational standpoint, but also knowing that you're end user, right? Like yes. people know, and, and, and conversations like, oh, I wouldn't go to that hospital because, you know, such and such and such. And what, when you boil it back, it's like, no, because there's some preconceived notions about my social identity that I just don't, I've heard, or this is that it's influencing the way that people access healthcare and, and what they think they're going to get when they get there. So I, I do think that, you know, the fact that you're having the conversations that you people are recognizing it, that they're incorporating it into their daily practice. It might not be one of those things that shows up on your right on some kind of report, but it right. definitely has influence and impact on the way that people think about the organization or think about the institution and whether or not they're going to have the psychological safety coming in. Yeah. And the fact that we have people that are comfortable enough to point things out to us now, I, I find it to be a huge win because that's how we're going to get better and make change. 
So absolutely. But if you don't have the language for it, if you're like, oh, I feel uncomfortable and I'm not exactly sure what, where that's coming from, you're more inclined not to say anything, right? You're more inclined to just keep it moving. But if you're like, wait, no, this is what I think it might be going on here. And I have, and, and Nicole, to your credit and to your team's credit and to all the 12 councils credits, I have some place I can go to, right? I also have a place where it makes sense for me to, to raise this and to even bring somebody else into the conversation. So it's one, the knowledge, but two, having like a someplace where I can go and share. Yeah. And that you're safe, whether you want to ask a question that you're unsure of, because we have people who are like, I don't really know. Should I say black? Should I say African-American? What do I do? You know, it's like, can I just talk to you? And it's like, yeah, that's what we're here for. So creating that space and meeting people where they are, I think is so important. Fantastic. So one of the questions um, that I have for you, because you're in it too. You talked about like all of the people who are in the front line and managing within healthcare and the burnout and being tired. I'm just curious, like, how do you handle the stress of the work that you're doing in particular in the sector that you're in, you know, and with your own life, right. Too. And just all the other things that we're, we're human beings, we're doing this, we're in this profession, we're human beings too. How do you manage all of that? Uh, take a deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> um, right back to where we started. Where we started, um, you know, it's a, it's a daily battle, right? And it's, I just had a baby. So my, well, not just now she's eight months old. And I think before I went on maternity leave, I didn't even realize how much I needed a break because I was just go, go, go. I was thinking about how do we create these spaces? How do we really lean in to support our frontline people? What I do is behind the scenes. I'm not on the front line dealing with, with, with what they're dealing with. And when I, I think that first weekend I was on leave, I'm like, what am I supposed to do now? And then I leaned in very quickly of, I have this newborn, she needs me, but I needed a break to just focus on that. And I hadn't given myself that space. So a lesson learned this time coming back after maternity leave and juggling all of the things is giving myself the space to put some yoga on my calendar, ensure that on the weekends, I'm focused on my family and making the point to talk to my friends and doing check-ins like that fills my soul and my cup. And I know that about myself, but I wasn't doing a good job of it. Um, so that's been a really important thing to kind of keep me sane, but connecting with people like you, honestly, and having dialogues like this also fills my cup up and I really love it. So connecting with other people in this space, I think it, it helps your sanity check too. You're like, oh, you're dealing with something similar. Oh, you've heard this. Great. It's not just me. Uh, Cause I think you can get bogged down in the details. So really trying to create more, I guess, space again, that, that whole concept I'm obsessed with um, to let myself walk away from the work is really important. And I've, I've definitely learned that over the last few years too. You know, the, the team at Uplifting Impact, they put this phrase in when they, when, you know, we were, we were talking about asking you this question, they put the phrase in work-life sway. And I loved that <laughs> because I'm like, yeah, every day, you know, it's like, as we're sitting, we're sitting here moving back and forth, you know, on the sway, because it is one moment. I'm a mom. One moment I'm thinking of strategy. One moment I'm, you know, talking to our frontline people. One moment I'm at a school reading a book to my kid in the middle of the day in his class. You know, it's a, it is a sway and it's never all balanced. I give up, especially not with two kids. I give up on that whole notion of work-life balance. Like, yeah, right. Not real. (laughs) 
I, I have given up on it a lot of, I, 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 until now, and now I'm going to start you saying work-life sway, but until now I don't have harmony, right? Because there is this like idea of balance. And I think, especially in the DEI space, I'll say this to people who are practitioners who, so we have a lot of practitioners who listen to the podcast, but we also have a lot of people who are doing this, you know, as something that they're really passionate about or they're leaders or they own a company, you know, we have a really wide range of people who listen to the podcast. And one of the things that I will say to you, if nobody else has said it to you, is that it's okay to step away. You know, I think there's this sense of guilt. Like if I'm in it, I have to be always in it. I have to be, and actually that doesn't benefit anybody either, right? So I do think like sometimes this work is really heavy and sometimes people come to you with some stuff that's really heavy and it can just be a little bit overwhelming, right? And so there has to, you have to, as part of your own self-care and actually as part of the practice of DEI, of creating the safe space, it can't just be about other people's safe space. It also has to be about you creating that for yourself and modeling that behavior. And so um, I'm glad we have to answer, ask you that question because I, I do think that it's just as important what we're doing in the individual level as what we're doing from an organizational or operational level. So thanks for sharing. And how could you not, how could you ask people to be authentically themselves if you aren't doing that too? And I think that that's a key piece that I've really reflected on in the last year. So I'm telling you to take a break, but I'm not doing it myself. It, it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't. And, and, but it's, and it's really easy to get wrapped up in it. And I'm, I'm totally at for fault for that. You know, t- I do not want to paint the picture that I am not at fault for that because yeah. I'm passionate about the work. And so I get into it and I sometimes forget like, oh my gosh, yeah. you know, like when was the last time I ate? When was the last time I, I was like, having a conversation about DEI? What, what's, yeah, what? what is going on here? Right. Like, and, and sometimes just having to be like, no hard stop. This is, this is a a, a moment for that. Okay. So I have one other, just fun question for random. Um, (laughs) Okay. I like random. Do you prefer mountains or the beach? Oh, that's so hard. And I say, it's (laughs) like, why did you have to pick that question? Um, and I say so hard because like, not being from a place where you could go to both in a day. Um, we have, it's, we haven't done it yet, but we were just in the mountains last weekend to take our kiddos to see snow for the first time. And I love the mountains because it's quiet and it's serene and the air is so fresh and it's lovely. But then I love being able to just sit there and listen to the ocean too. So can I pick both? It's a tie. Okay. I'm still a new California person. So I love them. This is an inclusive space. Of course right. you can. Pick I love both. that. Thank you. <laughs> And I had to ask you the question coming from the Midwest and knowing that you're yeah. in California and you get the opportunity to see both. I was just super curious uh, as, as whether or not there was a way that you that pull, pulled your heartstring more than the other. So thanks oh. for sharing. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, Nicole, I hate to have to go because it's been so fun chatting with you, but um, I know that people who are listening will want to learn more, kind of see more about what you're doing. What's the best way for them to stay connected? Yeah, you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm active on LinkedIn. That's how we met. Um, and then Twitter is always another good way. So feel free to ping me on social media, ask away, always happy to chat. Awesome. And we'll make sure that we put all of Nicole's information in our show notes. So in case you missed it, you you just click on the button and you'll you'll be able to connect that way. And Nicole, I just want to say thank you again for, for joining us and for sharing your wisdom with us. It's always great to connect with other people and hear how they're doing the, the things that they're doing. And thank you too, I, I, to your entire team, right? I, I do want to acknowledge the fact that we're all tired. We're all, but you, you have a different layer of this. And um, I think that the people who are supporting the supporters, all of you. 
we're just appreciative. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was lovely. Awesome. Awesome. And thank you everybody who's been joining and listening in or watching the show. We really appreciate your ongoing support. If there is somebody in your organization or somebody that you're working with or somebody in the community that you know could really benefit from hearing more of these conversations and understanding how you know some of these ideas are being put into practice in real life, we would encourage you to like the, the podcast, but also share it. Share it with everybody um, because the more people we know uh, who are doing this work, who are having these conversations, who are participating in a real way and making that a part of their process, the more change we are going to be able to see in the world. We also invite you to send your comments. Also very active, Justin and I, uh, both on LinkedIn. So feel free to reach out to us on LinkedIn, but also feel free to go directly to the website if you have ideas for other guests or um, you have questions that you want to ask, upliftingimpact.com. We are always there for you. But until next week, we just want you to keep on uplifting the impact. Thank you so much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.